Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Peter Gorl, uh, Vice President of Business Development and Client Relations for TechBlocks, a company designed to help small, medium, and enterprise companies optimize their business in the digital world. A great example of the kind of work we do is the development of self-serve portals that empower our clients' customers by giving them online access to content and information they'd ordinarily have to dig deeper for through traditional channels of inquiry and call centers. Our special guest today is Jackie Lauer. She's the CEO of a company called Heart of Culture. Passionate about leadership development and culture, Jackie grew her career-leading technology sales teams at companies like ITI and Nortel. She has experience leading teams through periods of rapid change and fast growth. She believes she succeeded or failed based on her capacity to engage the human side of the business, taking one company from $1 million to $85 million in just five years. With a passion to create great leaders in high-performing cultures, she pursued multiple certifications in coaching, change management, emotional intelligence, neuroleadership, I like that one, and mediation. As CEO of her own consulting company, she has had the pleasure of working on clients like Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, Accelerator Center, Department of National Defense, House of Commons, the RCMP, a company called Fibernetics, Myovision, and Magnet Forensics. She's known for her humor and her ability to challenge leaders to be their best selves, to not forget that their business isn't just about products and sales, and must also include a foundation for great life and great culture. Recently described by a client, she's like, much like a younger version of Yoda, sharing practical philosophies on how our needs as human beings inform the way we want to be led and lead. Best of all, she has a no BS approach, an, inv- an infectious laugh, and loves what she does. Jackie, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. That's a pleasure. Um, I don't know. Every time I, every time we talk to uh, obviously somebody that really runs their own business, there's always always got to be a starting point. And so, my first question to you is, why did you even start this business? I was. I think I have. I have two stories that I often tell around a question like that. The first one was, I was head of sales for a really fast-growing IT company, and I had hired IBM to help me implement a CRM solution. And I was blessed to meet this really cool, they call them The Rock, the retiree on call with IBM. And we were in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and he said to me, you and me, come on, we're going to go for a martini tonight. So, well, of course, I was so honored to be asked to spend time with this brilliant man. And he says to me, I wanted to let you know I think you're in the wrong job. And I'm like, 
what? Like, I love what I do, and I, I think my company believes in me. And he said, no, no, he says, I don't think you understand. Did you know that the leadership team calls you the canary? And I'm like, what do you mean by canary? Well, of course, Nova Scotia, coal mining communities. He said, you're the canary. They send you into the mines first. <laughs> oh, come out. oh, my. They, they know they're not going to roll out something. So what I what I realized through him was something that I took for granted was, Apparently, I had the capacity to help cross-teams communicate, whether it was employee to employer um, or whether it was from the company into a new market we were going into. And I had that capacity to feed the information between each other so that they were really, truly hearing each other. Mm. And I I didn't know that. I just thought, doesn't everybody do that in this role? (laughs) And he was so generous to provide that as a gift to me. And from there, I went out and did some certifications. He said, get some more learning to understand what you know intuitively. So that's when I started to do things like change management certifications. Wow. That was the start. But then when I was talking enough to think I could run my own business, and I resigned from my role, <laughs> and I started doing huge change management strategies with large crown corporations, particularly out of Ottawa, I found myself frustrated managing huge large-scale change when for me I felt like it could stop or fail based on the culture inside the organization or based on the capacity of one leader to manage great human relationships. Right. And so for me it was like okay, if I'm if I'm really going to help companies perform and manage through change, I've got to figure out how I do that through human relationship and through through culture. Wow. Amazing, amazing. Uh, Well, I actually had the pleasure of interviewing one of your clients about two weeks ago, a chap by the name of John Sticks from Fibernetics. And I've got to tell you, that that in itself uh, rests to me as an incredible reference on, on, on your success in this business. John alluded at that time, he went through what he went through prior to reaching out to you, which kind of segues me to my next question of you. When does a company know they need to call you for, to work on their culture? Yeah, but I was thinking about how that's starting to change because culture is a word in a lexicon that's accepted today where it's like not even eight or ten years ago, people would look at me going, I don't know what you mean. Right. <laughs> but it's still – but it's still um, – it's still not accepted by many C-level uh, executives as something strategic to manage at their level. They tended to kind of dump it on the lap of HR and say, yeah, yeah, just go look after it. And um, and so what I'm noticing is the trend is usually around there's conflict that exists either between two leaders or two departments, and it's stalling performance. And they've attempted to solve it. So in the case, of, you know, in John's case, it was, um, two leaders that were in conflict. When I got in there, I asked the I, I asked the HR person, "Could you please bring in one of the founders to the meeting?" And she she was like, "You know, oh, okay." <laughs> She's probably thinking, "Who's this consultant that thinks she could just demand the C level to be in there?" And and so what I loved about that meeting in, with John, he's a great example of what happens. I said, How, "What have you done already to solve the conflict?" And what I was doing was listening to what are what are the systemic issues that are in the way of solving it between two people. Right. 
And so I and and then when I'm lucky and blessed to meet a great client like John Sticks, is that they lean into it and they're curious. And he he was already on the journey of trying to understand what was happening in the organization. And so usually it's something like a conflict that's stalling performance. That's that's why I started doing the mediation piece because I thought if I can add value at least in this small moment for the company gather a bit more data about what's happening for them, and then I can feed it back and say, here's why the conflict is happening at a system level and how the system is supporting the conflict instead of helping it. Right. Yeah. You know, John was a living example, you know, a true living example of, I think, what uh, entrepreneurs uh, tend to go through. Uh, they sometimes get in their own way. And, we uh, all do. <laughs> what was that? I said we all do. Yeah, no, it's true. Because I, I, you try to, you try to outthink the situation right away because you think there's got to be a silver bullet to everything, right? Because yeah. there's either wrong or right. And the fact is, when you're dealing with this ambiguous activity associated with lots of people, lots of things going on in their mind, lots of things you can't manage you have to find some way of bringing that all together i mean is 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 that how you is that how you work on things i mean or do you have another methodology in in assembling uh in assembling the solution it's not i suppose it's not unlike um i was thinking about a conversation i had just yesterday with a consultant that's new to consulting you know a young a young consultant and she was asking me for some advice and she was talking about a recent scenario she had with a client, and uh, and she said, "Walk me through where I made a mistake." And as I listened, I realized, I think it's the same mistake that many of many of us make in consulting, or even in <laughs> or even in sales, is that we're not really listening to the customer to solve their immediate problem, the one that they can see and understand. Right. And we start selling what we think we see and we understand. <laughs> so if I go in and and they're not already in tune with what culture really is and how it can improve you know, that the engagement levels of their people to get discretionary effort to build higher performance, if they're not there yet, you're you're gonna they're just not gonna work with you. So for me, it I, I just wanna be wherever the client is at. So if it's around conflict, let's let's start there. And as I get to know them I can see more data from their perspective and offer a grander view or a different offer. Um, sometimes the scenario they bring to me will be, you know, we have a retention issue and we've, we're, like I've got one client right now where have been in business 27 years and rarely lost employees. They were so loyal. But a year ago, a whole chunk of them left, which was significant to their business. And they needed to understand what they did to contribute to that huh. and what, what they could do differently to make sure it never happens again. So, you know, in the context of your question, it's just, it's offering the solution wherever they are, and then when they're ready, you know, and sometimes as consultants, you know, we have to push that boundary a little bit and test it and open their view, open their viewpoint to see if they can see that this is often a grander issue that could be, you know, much more strategic in helping them solve or drive where the business needs to go. Needs to go. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, I mean, I'm, I'm in IT consulting myself, you know, and we, we often you know you sometimes get caught up going into the going into the client and you and they they tell you what they what they think is wrong with them with their system and you like and there's a tendency almost to jump right to the solutioning you know when you should actually just stop and go why is this happening you know what are the key contributors to this 
and where do you want to take it from there? Yeah. It's even harder with people, right? <laughs> yeah. there's, the data changes every day, right? Depends on how what happened at home. You know, when they when they come into your uh, come into the office, I mean, you have no idea what just took place between the, you know, the thirty to sixty minutes it took them to get there. That's right. And, oh, I love that you said that. I, I love that you said that because you know we could have this big change management strategy or, or even culture strategy, and the reason why I said I wanted to be able to help the leader manage, you know, I often will say one conversation at a time. One conversation at a time will take you forward in the company or backwards, or forward in a relationship or backwards. So sometimes to me, we can look at the big picture of culture and we can look at the reward systems and, you know, your recruitment strategy and those things. But if we are not aligned in terms of how well we manage one conversation at a time, you can destroy the trust. And that kind of negativity will spread. Wow. Now, um, John John spoke of making a start and then, and the fact that, you know, he sort of locked himself in a room and went on the Internet and started looking around. I mean, you, I, I, from your perspective, I'd like you to tell the audience, if you, if you could, uh, just where, where do you think they should start? You know, I mean, if you're going to offer advice on how they should start and when they should start, uh, do, you have, do you have any uh, insight to offer the audience on that? Yeah, for... Um... I mean, other than call you. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, if someone, you know, if they, don't, if they don't want that or, you know, that's kind of why I love the public speaking side of things. It's like, you know what, if, if you can help one or two people in a room of 300, you know what I mean? Yep. Good, good. Like, let's, you know, somebody asked me the other day, she's a lovely woman I just met who works for United Nations, and she's like, tell me more about your work. And I said, you know what, I think all I can do is hope that I'm having an impact on the world. And if I can do that one person at a time, or if my community is one organization, I'm happy. But where they start for me is vulnerability. <laughs> it's have the courage to be vulnerable as a leader. Have the cur- It's so courageous. That vulnerability space is the springboard to change. It's the springboard to great relationships and innovation. And it takes so much courage to be that vulnerable, first with self and then with other. Right, right. So if, if they can learn, if, and an individual leader can learn how to do that, man, like I'm thinking about one story. I was working with um, Department of National Defense, and, and I'll, you know, respect the the, the leader's name because we haven't done a white paper and put it out there in public, but right. the the the, the, the director was coming into a new role to manage a significantly large national team and uh there was lots of stories or assumptions or beliefs about her style and so she had engaged my company to do um like a leadership retreat as she was starting in the new role and one of the requests we had of her was you know i know we knew she knew that there were a lot of people that had assumptions or beliefs about her style much of which was was wrong but some of which was true. (laughs) So I said, what if we started the retreat with you being vulnerable and literally asking them to share their stories and we'll make sure it's done in a safe way. I have a sense of humor, so we'll find a way to bring humor into the room to let them know that you are okay with hearing this data. 
And I'll never forget that for as long as I live because she said, sure, you know, I'm choosing to trust you. But <laughs> Reluctantly. So much, <laughs> right? That's right. It takes so much courage to stand there and let people tell you what their assumptions and beliefs are. and right. to, and you, But she knew in the moment that she was, number one, she was trusting us. She, she was believing that this was going to be useful. But as it started, it was so uncomfortable. The energy in the room was awkward. There was long pauses and silence. But as people got going and they could see that she could take it, they they got more courageous in sharing their stories and assumptions. And, sat, and we taught them a language and how to deliver it that wasn't offensive or attacking. And I'll tell you what, like I just loved how the day sort of ended. And as we moved into the second day and third day of the retreat, we got we we found this really open conversation. She handled it by saying, you know, very playfully, "Here are the ones that are true. <laughs> here are the ones, you know." And I get why that story is on me because here's what I did, and here's what I do differently now, or here's what I'm proud of. But yeah. also, here are the ones that aren't true, and let me give you another perspective. And and what's and then the next part of that process became, what's the story we want to create together? Right. And to me, that was an awesome springboard into the relationship that she was building with just her leadership team, let alone the rest of the organization. Right. So for me, the answer is the courage to become very vulnerable. Yeah, that's a good one. And I mean, because I remember, I remember John actually stepping up and saying that that's exactly what he did. Because I asked him, I said, how you know, how did you, how do you even start something like that? And well, I've got to tell my story first. I got to show them kind of what's below the skin, and then. But I think that people are like that. I think if um, I think you can even, I think you can even crush hard barriers by exposing, uh, and I don't mean this rudely, exposing yourself to them, or your personality, and, yeah. and some, you know, sort of the the little quirky things about you, and then that person kinds of kind of responds with, hmm, he's a very funny person, or he's got the same problems as I am, or Maybe his problems are are worse than mine, right? Yeah. That that's part and parcel of what we're talking about, right? When we so open up that exchange. Yeah. I remember this is a personal story going back as a young woman in my twenties, and I I was blessed with a level of self confidence. My you know parents, I was kind of born that way. But, I knew who I was, and I felt okay with my with my um, with my insecurities or weaknesses as well as my strengths. And I rem and. And I remember this moment in time where something happened in the workplace, and I and I and I cried, which is not something I do easily. It's not I'm not quick to tears. Some people are, and not in a bad way. But I just happened to show tears that day. And what I found in the following days is that people seemed to want to spend more time with me. And I was like, what? The hell? What? What is going on? It's like it drew them to me. And I'm like, this is so weird because I didn't understand that they needed to see me as human and not inhuman. They right. needed to see that I was as real as they are, you know, as hard and soft, whatever that is. They certainly had faith in my capacity to lead or do sales at that time, but they didn't know how to really connect with me at a human level. Yeah. And that was, my, that was my misunderstanding, you know. It was my assumption that I had to be all tough all the time, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um it's been heard during some of your speeches. You keep referring to something that I, I guess I would pronounce it FIFO or FIFO, F-I-F-O. It means something different to me, but what is that to you? What is, What are you talking about there? At some point, I need to know what it means to you. That'll be interesting. Okay, then. Uh, do you want me to tell you first? Please first do. Thing, first out is... A, is oh, that's right. Oh, that's <laughs> that's right. what I always do. That's probably, that's probably where it came from in the first place. 
you know, I was thinking about I, one of my favorite times of my life was being part the head of sales for this IT company, and you know, and, and that's why I love working with um, startups now because I know how fun and crazy and exciting and innovative that is. But we had this really awesome founder that we were all quite loyal to, and we were all rolling up our sleeves and getting whatever work needed to be done to grow this company, and we were growing, and it was a very exciting time. And we finally had enough money to have a, a like a. A staff retreat, you know, you <laughs> couldn't afford that, right? A retreat for us was going out for beer and everybody pays for it themselves. Right. <laughs> so we finally could afford this staff retreat. And so there was a big agenda for three days. We were up at Shadow Montebello and doing some whitewater mm. rafting. And there was this really awesome moment where it's about 25 people sitting in the room from the sales team. And we turned to the founder and we said, okay, we've, you had your agenda, but now everyone in this room has one item we want to bring up with you and a request that we have of you. And we'd like you to bring HR in because we were now at a significant number of employees and it was clear that we didn't have an HR support system that we believed we needed. And in his beautiful Newfoundland accent, he said, he says, we've got one HR policy. It's called the FIFO policy. Fit in or fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I wasn't ready for that. (laughs) Oh, my God. And what I love about that moment is we did what you just did there. Like, we loved him, and we just fell about laughing. It was absolutely hysterical. But also in that moment, trust was lost. Mm. We weren't heard, like really genuinely heard. As much as the humor was there and we loved it, we we knew what we needed. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's so interesting. That was many, many years ago. It's so interesting. I was working with a, a client uh, just a year ago, and the president of the company, of course, I was doing you know, pre-meeting interviews with all the staff before we went away to make sure I understood their perspective and what they were hoping for, not just what the leadership team wanted. And they were all um, uh, expressing concern that the people wow. side of the business wasn't as important. And so I went to him, I said, you need to know that this is clearly on everybody's mind, and it's not allowing them to build trust with the leadership team. And he said, that'll never happen. He says, HR and culture is fluff. Oh. And I and I looked at him, I said, are, are we ever going to change that view? And he, he said, will I ever have that capacity? He's like, no, that'll never change. It's just fluff. I guess I guess that was uh, that was your uh, exit stage left kind of. A- <laughs> well, <laughs> <Yeah. then>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I either had to walk away or be fired. Yeah, no, away. exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> You were certainly weren't fitting in at that time, so you know the you know you know the uh, out. That's right, and you know, frankly, there's to me there's a I just I thought that more leaders had evolved from that standpoint since then, <laughs> I, and I don't I don't mind taking on a challenge, but when the fundamental ground belief system yeah. doesn't exist, then there's no hope. So that was just it's like it was just a reminder. It's like wow, they still exist out there. <laughs> yeah, no, and and, uh, and I'm here to I'm here to bear witness. And everybody thinks that it's always in the big old boys club stodgy places that this takes place. That's not the case. I'm here to say that's not the case. I mean, it can be uh, because some, you know, some entrepreneurial owner has an ego bigger than the organization, right? And 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 he thinks that culture is it fits in. If it you know if it fits him like his shirts fit him, then fine. You know, otherwise it's it's it, it's not not going to play with him that day. So that's or right. ever or ever for that matter. That's right. So very yeah. true. Yeah. Now more than ever, and these days you, you hear 
about mentoring being utilized in this world. I'm actually uh, such a big fan. Um, in fact, I personally mentor uh, young entrepreneurs. I also mentor first and second year university students that, that are prep and, and prepping them for the working world. And I think it's never too early to kind of get that, get that into, uh, into play with them. Now, you've been mentoring startup tech CEOs for about four years now. Yeah, at the, at the Accelerator Center uh, yeah. in Waterloo, and uh, three of those years were also with Communitac at the Hub. Ah, yeah, what? and years what? ago, years ago in Ottawa, I was way, you know, up at uh, Oak Creek, Ottawa Carleton Research Institute. That was a long time ago. <laughs> wow. What do you, what's important about that for you? Like, you, I mean, what I do you, you must I, I love what you just said. I love what you just said about working with the university students. Like, my very, very first real job in the universe was I ran the employment center programs for Carleton University. Oh, Okay. And uh, and so it was that bridging point, right? That bridge between the universe, the work, the study world, to the work world. And yeah. um, and you know, we didn't always do it well. <laughs> you know, we didn't always uh, help put them out there into the world with a full understanding of how it's so completely different. And you're using, and that's probably why we'll talk about that another time. But why I got into emotional intelligence, IQ versus EQ. Yeah. I think what I'm really passionate about, particularly as it relates to leadership now and culture for me is I want those startups coming out of the Accelerator Center and I want them I want them to understand that if they really genuinely want to grow that business and be sustainable, it's based on their ability to lead really effectively and to build an outstanding culture. It isn't as you just said, it isn't just about one person. You know, it's like quantum physics, you know, it's one thing changes, all things change. As soon as right. one entrepreneur brings in a second person into his business or her business, that environment or that system changes. You bring 10 people in, that environment and system changes. And it, I want them to understand system dynamics. I want them to have the capacity to look at the bigger system from mm -hmm. another vantage point that isn't just revenue. So uh, to me, you can the performance, the financial returns come as a result of the awesome work you do with your customers and with your people. So I want them to learn how to be, not just what to do. Right, right. Yeah. No, very, very, very good. Um, you just mentioned something that uh, is uh, a really hot topic with me, emotional intelligence. Oh, my heavens. Yeah. Um, now, if my wife was uh, on this program right now, <laughs> She'd say that you know I'm a combination of a, a mature person, uh, but I I sometimes act like a 12 year old, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I tell you I'm a long way from that. <laughs> but that actually I've seen in the workplace. Oh, yeah. I, it's so ugly. <laughs> it's, so, it's so it's so self deprecating of of people when they do that, and particularly when it's in a leader. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always say to my clients, I'm an expert in emotional intelligence, but I ain't no master. <laughs> no. I'm and, still human too, right? I have moments right. where I'm not at my best. Yeah, yeah. You talk know, it's a, talk to the audience a little bit about your your feelings and your thoughts and your and just your learnings around around that and then how how it's uh, how you process it with your uh, with, you know, with your clients. Well, you know, emotional intelligence is our capacity for managing emotion in, in, inside of ourselves and recognizing in others. So 
it's that self-awareness piece, like in the moment. I always say to my clients, I, you can't see because we're on radio, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a chubby girl, so I always point to my belly and I say to my clients, I might not have a six-pack here, but then I point up to my heart and my brain and I say, but I got one here. Okay? You know, I know now through, through a lot of practice and exercise, if you will, by learning in relationship with others, I now know how to access what I think, feel, and want really quickly. So that you're at choice, and that's what it's about, is when you really expand your capacity for emotional intelligence, you're at choice when you're in conversation or in relationship with others. So I, I, and I know everyone can relate to this, but you ever been in the middle of a conversation or walked away from a conversation and thought to yourself, that was not my best moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I catch myself all the time. Yeah, yeah. And so I I want people to have that capacity to be at choice, to choose wisely. I'll often say you want to protect the self-worth of yourself and other so that you don't damage the relationship or the system in which you're leading, as an example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's about teaching them how to recognize, and um, there's so much more to it. This okay, We could do that in, in a full-day workshop. But, um, oh, yeah, absolutely. And fact, even in those awesome moments when yeah. you are really so, for instance, say I'm really angry with you, and in this moment while I'm angry with you, do I also have the ability to understand why you might also be angry with me, to to have that ability to be fully empathetic and still own my perspective as well. And that's, we call it differentiation, to allow self and other to exist together and and be able to move forward effectively. So that becomes a self-management piece. I'm aware of what's going on. Yeah. Now I can self-manage, self-manage it effectively. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the last piece is to have that empathy while doing all of that at once. And, you know, one wrong Mis, um, mishandled conversation in the workplace as a leader does so much damage. And I'll, and I'll give you an example. Working with a large crown corporation, we mm-hmm. were brought in to help these two departments that were in fighting that was causing damage to their customers. And as we literally peeled back the layers of the onion of what was causing that conflict between two significant departments, honest to God, Peter, it came down to one email. Oh, Wow. It, two years earlier, there had been an email where someone had written, to, the one person had written to the other leader and had cc'd the person. Or, um, cc'd the person. Right. The other person didn't respond oh. because it was a cc and not a direct, and the other person was offended that they never responded, and then they could feel the offensiveness and the attack through body language and tone. So then they got angry, and it just rippled through the whole organization. Wow. So I, and I love that story because um, you know just yesterday I had a client sit down with me and ask me a question about how to handle this. It's like really, I know it's causing me stress today, but in five days I will have forgotten about it. It's like no, you won't, because it'll be sitting there inside the DNA of your body, and you now have a story or assumption or belief about that person. And every time that person connects with you, you're going to respond accordingly. You yeah. need to fix it. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. You like I, I just came off uh, last. Uh, last Friday, I had our, I held our uh, Q2 strategy session, and you know, just I like to kind of stay ahead of the game, and uh, and I had uh, I had an occasion. It was a great occasion for me because two of the individuals at that table had actually let me down on uh, on an assignment um, maybe a couple of weeks before that, and um, and I put it I put it to them really straight instead of like drawing up you know, a policy or drawing up a paper around it. I just put it to them. I said, uh, look, you guys, uh, I just want to draw your attention to something that's uh, really nagging me. 
And I also want to uh, draw your attention to something that I think that we should all partake in, and that is I think we should make sure that we protect each other from failure in this organization. Absolutely. And, and, and yeah, it's like it's about we're in this together. So yeah. what is it in the dynamic that made them choose to let you down consciously or unconsciously? And how is the current result affecting all parties? And how do we do this better? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, but dealing with it up front like that, and I, I mean, I love them dearly. You know, we're we're a tight-knit group, but um, I felt you might as well be open about it, right, and deal with it and, 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 it's and so, have a laugh. Uh, exactly. It's like, you know, I love that. It's my, when my, my I have one child. He's a nine-year-old boy. Huh? I always see that poor kid. He's getting EQ training, all emotional intelligence training all the time. He may need therapy. I don't know. <laughs> well, well, what is he? Uh, he's, the poor uh, kid. But what I love about him. Psychologically, like 49 is he? <laughs> Depends on the content. <laughs> what I love about him is when we're when we're when he's triggered me to anger or I've tri- triggered him to anger. Well, we have this thing now where we'll go, uh oh, that didn't go well. Rewind, and we literally rewind our bodies back for wow. a couple of moments, and then we go, let's do this better. <laughs> and we step into it and we try it again. I, you know, you you said that, and I pictured you doing this robot type thing, move. You, know? you, you actually nailed it, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm not sure my CEO clients are up to that, but <laughs> okay, I know, I know. But you're a colorful person. There's no question about that. I, you know, yeah, your introduction, uh, uh, you know, spells it out clear. One of the topics um, usually associated with people who are successful is people who found their real purpose in life. Near and dear to my heart, because if you drill down into everybody, there's something that is just driving that person. And some people haven't met it. They haven't come face-to-face with it yet. Uh, I'm going to take a guess. I'm I'm feeling that you have. Yeah, I feel so blessed that I have. Yeah. I don't know how. I've often reflected on that. It's like, why was I blessed? to know, really know my strengths in life so early. I don't know. I, I, honestly, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> well, you, you did tell me about your one client who told who kind of gave you a leg up in that direction, yes, right? Yes, very true, very true. And thank you for that reminder. I think, but early on, like, I'm um, I, 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 talking to, you know, my parents at a very young age of 11 or 12, it's like, you know, I, I knew that I, I loved, either A, being on a stage and educating and motivating, or B, just sitting with someone one-on-one and really um, being permitted to see who they really are. And what an honor that is, Peter, when people let you in. Right. It's, it's an honor. Like every time I'm in those moments, I feel so grateful that someone has trusted me with their true self. Right, right. And I remember that feeling from a really young age. I was like, oh, my gosh, how blessed am I <laughs> to have that and I want that, I think, and that's what I'm loving about John Sticks as an example. He's just, it's, like, it's like you're on a high. When you feel that elated and fulfilled, you want that for everybody. Yeah. Now, John is a, you know, he's a particularly strong individual because he has gone uh, a yard or two further, and he's taken this whole thing of quite a bit quite a bit longer and stretched out in the fact that, you know, he's actually now put himself on – 
uh, almost an informal speaking circuit, you know, and people are reaching out to him and and just asking to hear his story. And he's almost bound and determined. He was, in fact, he said, "I'm telling everybody that wants to hear." Right? It's and he's not even he's not even it's looking for financial compensation for it. In fact, he said he openly told me he said, "Look, Peter, because if they pay me anything, it goes straight to charity. I, this isn't about." This isn't about earning a living doing this. This is about getting the word out. So, I mean, that is, that is, no, he's an incredible example of what you call a a major convert, you know. So kudos to you because I, obviously you've, you've wired this guy with all the right parts and pieces. Oh, but I didn't wire the guy. All I did was help to blow off some of the dust (laughs) in the wiring system and go, do you see that? Like, do you see that wire? Because I do, and it's pretty rock and roll. Like, yeah, yeah. it's already there. I've got nothing to do with any of that other than let me just help you uncover and see at a different, from a different vantage point the beautiful gifts you have in this world. I, li- I, like that you, uh, I like that you changed that up, and I like that you clarified that. That's, mm-hmm. That tells me more about you than, does, than anything you've said so far. Very Thank good. You, Peter. Very good. Now you actually have an event coming up next Tuesday. Is that a public event or is it a closed event at your Communitech? Oh gosh, yes. So that's what oh, we're talking about. Oh, culture. Oh, you haven't checked your calendar. I, <laughs> I can't. You know, it's day to day, man. <laughs> hey, day to day. There's always so many events going on with me. I'm like, okay, I, I'm thinking about what's happening this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that is. I th- I believe that one is specifically to people in the HR community. Yes, uh, it's um, the HR net at Community yeah. Kitchener, right? Yeah, they're a pretty active group, and um, and they've invited me to come in and share some of the stories and experiences. And to your point earlier, which is, you know, they're they're not all going to hire me, but if they can go back into their workplaces, then that ripple effect is just awesome. That's yeah. all we can do. Now, do you go, are there places where people can, you know, uh, people can go and listen to you, or is, is that not the norm for you? Or No, I do a lot of public speaking. Goodness. You know, um, so uh, John sticks as an example where I asked him to share the stage with me as an opening keynote. Oh, so great. come on, you are, you, you want to do this thing? Come with me. You're going to yeah. be awesome. Of course, he kicked ass. He was absolutely fantastic. And that was a, a room of uh, over 250 leaders um, specifically there to talk about culture with us in the morning. So as we were the opening stage, that's just one example. There's always those things going on with me. Yeah. Now, you know, I think there's still people out there, the, the, the naysayers and, you know, the, the ones that are snickering at us as we, as we talk about culture. Um, you know, everybody thinks that the word culture has got something to do with um, the fact that you're either uh, uh, English or American or oh, yeah. Indian. That, that's, that's not at all, right? That, that's, that's not the definitive ans- answer to what culture is. Yeah, that's probably how the word came about, isn't it? It's like when you come into an organization, even if it's in one community in one country, Everyone comes into that workplace with their own beliefs about what leadership is or about what relationship is or about what sales is. And we come in with all these different views and perspectives that we perceive to be as true right. as, you know, it's fact. I always, I always talk about it. It's like it's your truth, 
but does it make it true for everybody as an example? So workplace culture is that shared belief system and values that that company, uh, that group of people hold inside that organization. And those shared beliefs and values drive how people behave. Sadly, so many people don't get conscious of those. Um, they are not aware of – so I, that's why I love working with the startups is I can sit down with them, even if they're a team of six or eight people, and just say, okay, let's walk through the last couple of things that have happened in this organization, and I can help them peel back the layers and say, now let's look at why you did what you did. And then I help them uncover their value system. And I love those moments when they let me in because it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nope. and that's why I hired my CTO, because he believes what I believe, but they didn't do it consciously. They call it gut feel and all those things, right. and I want to raise those things up to the conscious level so they can learn to manage them strategically and to protect, like fundamentally protect those core beliefs and values that are so dear to why they started the business in the first place or why they're still in the business, right. and protect them fiercely. Wow. That's, That's what I love about John Stix's story with Fibernetics when he talked about I'm in, and I remember the conversation, and I said, I remember saying, John, why do you interview everyone that comes in? And he just kind of sat quietly, and he goes, because I need to make sure they're in. And I said, tell me what I'm in means. Like what? And that just, you know, John, he's so creative. He just took that to a whole new level. Yeah, he did. And, he, and it's like protect that which is so precious to you. Right, right. Well, including the fact that if um, uh, uh you know, on the other side of the, the he's, he's also thinking about the person themselves because it, it's they're doing themselves a disservice if they merely attach themselves to his organization because everyone else is raving about it. That's not a good reason to join a company. Yeah, that's right. And ironically, just last night I was on the phone. Uh, we were recruiting a C-level person into a, inside a company, and I called the person that didn't get the role, and he was – uh, perplexed, like absolutely, it's like we connected on all the reasons that you would feel disappointed and let down when you didn't get the role you wanted. And I said, you know, fundamentally, there are two or three core values which we couldn't see modeled in the things you've done. It doesn't make you wrong or broken, or it just means you're just not a fit at this place. You're going to be an awesome fit somewhere else. And, you know, I got a message from him this morning saying the way you worded that helped me understand. And, uh, you know, and hopefully he can get conscious of his own beliefs and values to find that right, awesome fit where he can soar. Yes. Fit sometimes has something to do with timing. It sometimes has something to do with, you know, the capability of the speed that you need to move along. You know, there's a whole group of things, you know, that go into that. And, 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 And it can be disturbing. It can be psychologically disturbing to people. So I think that it once they understand that you're actually thinking of them as much as you're thinking of the company. That I, it should, as that gentleman obviously, uh, you know, he obviously, you obviously turned the light on for him, to so he could live better with it. You know? However, you know, even to your question around like handling the naysayers, yeah. I still have, I'll still have a CEO that will not buy into the softer language around the human relationship or human side of things, and yeah. I'm okay with that as long as I can find people inside the organization that get the criticality of the way we treat people. but So where I'm going with that is sometimes the measure is financial. Mm -hmm. Not sometimes. It always is in business. Right. Sometimes they don't get the connection between culture and money. And so those are the ones that I'll take on and say, fine, give me a shot at this. And if this project doesn't show you that, you you don't have to pay me. I'm telling you right now, here's the result that we're going to see. 
let me demonstrate to you the way that we treat our people is going to increase their discretionary effort, which means they'll put in more of their energy and their joy and produce something greater than you even expected. I love that because that's, yeah. exactly, that's, my, that's my conversation with every client I talk to. Yeah. Like you don't, I'm not the best at everything I do, but I'm actually, I can be pretty damn good. And if you don't think I am, then you can always fire me. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, the option's yours. Jackie, I can't believe it. I just caught the time. We are like banging on here, and I, I even forgot we're on a radio show. Because <laughs> 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 you're so comfortable to speak with. This, I love this, and and I, I can I can tell right out right out of the gate. Uh, this is uh, how and why you get uh, good engagements with your clients because when you can make somebody feel like you're just sitting down at the fireside over a cup of coffee or a brandy or whatever and having a good chat, that's that's when the best things happen. So sure. fantastic. Now before we um, before we uh, take off, let's uh, let's uh, let the audience know where they can get a hold of you, where they can find you, where they can see you. Um, if you will, please. Well, absolutely. I, I'm easily found on my website, which is JackieLauer.com. So that's J-A-C-K-I-E-L-A-U-E-R.com. And on there, you know, it's my services and keep up to date on next speaking engagements. And if they're looking for someone to come in and talk about culture or leadership, um, I'm here to help. That's brilliant. Thank and, you. That's uh, very kind of you. Listen, so great to have you uh, on the show. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, and I actually uh, I hope to meet you sometime soon because uh, I frequent the Kitchener-Waterloo Market. and have lots of friends and uh, clients up there. And uh, perhaps we'll get together soon. Sounds awesome. I look forward to it. That's great. Thank you very much again and uh, have yourself a great day. Thanks, Peter. Take care. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tomtootall.com for details.